The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. And buy Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. Try the new Squarespace 7 and get 10% off when you visit squarespace.com and enter offer code GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, February 2nd, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So I hearken back to episode 30, 31 right there. It was a heady, wild time. Late spring 2014, Vladimir Putin was on the march. And Dancing with the Sharks was a description of Bernardo's character in West Side Story, not Katy Perry's Super Bowl aspirations. But then things were getting compared to Belgium. In August, Fox News used this comparison. They have the territory in Iraq and Syria that's about the same size as Belgium. The size of Belgium. It's about the size of Belgium. Such a, just a useful, useful example that conjures such a discernible, graspable area to the average Benelux-loving American Fox viewer. But ISIS's strength grew, and then it waned to supra-Belgium, and then sub-Belgium levels. Eventually, the comparison fell away. Until this morning, I was listening to NPR about an entirely different group of terrorist bastards on a different continent, and this was said. Boko Haram has been gaining territory, as you know, in a series of attacks for the past few months. We're told now that they hold territory almost the size of Belgium. Who told you? The Belgian Chamber of Commerce? Are they the ones propagating this comparison? The any press is good press theory? Why are we bringing Belgium into this particular theater? You know, there was an actual shootout in Belgium a few weeks ago. Terrorist cells were said to be proliferating in Belgium. Now, to give you some idea of the size of the problem in that country, well, it's a little less than the size of Maryland. It's almost exactly the size of Belgium. Let's say it's two New Jerseys and a Rhode Island. But we're going to go Jersey, Jersey, Rhode Island, not Rhode Island sandwich in between the jerseys because we do have to keep Providence and Piscataway separated by more than culture and accent. On the show today, I go into beast mode for a spiel. It's Monday, and that means the show will be ending with a They Might Be Giants song debut. Maria Konnikova comes by to assess the bullshitness of stuff. But first, a country off the coast of India that might be obscure, but it's quite fascinating, and it's twice the size of Belgium. If you know what the Sri Lankan flag looks like, and my vexillology friends, of course you do. There is a lion. He is holding a sword. He does not seem happy. That is just barely touching the surface of the history, the recent history of Sri Lanka, where one of the most, let's be honest, successful terrorist groups, the Tamil Tigers, designated as terrorist group by most Western governments, have been largely successful. And recently there was a presidential election with surprising results. The geopolitical consequences of this are a little bit obscure, but actually fascinating and important. And so joining me now is just about the best guy I could talk about Sri Lanka, Jonah Blank, who joins us quite often. Jonah is a senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation. And his first book, The Arrow of the Blue Skin God, was about Sri Lanka and India. Hello, Jonah. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. What's the elevator pitch of Arrow of the Blue Skin God, by the way? 
retracing the Indian epic Ramayan through India and Sri Lanka, and using this wonderful Sanskrit ancient tale to find out mysteries about uh, the modern world, and also maybe make your life better. So, yeah, let's hope. So the Sri Lankans tried to make their lives better or as best they could through the ballot box. And there is a surprising new president. Tell me about him and the man he replaced. Well, the outgoing president, Mahinda Rajapaksa, he sort of made his name by defeating the Tamil Tigers. As you quite rightly point out, one of the most successful terrorist and insurgent groups that we have seen in the past century. For 20 years, even more, they looked like they had an unshakable hold on the northern quarter, or even more than that, of the island. And Rajapaksa, through a very brutal campaign, actually put them out of business. So this is an ex-terrorist group that no longer exists in an operational way. That should have bought him a lot of support, and it did, but he overplayed his hand. He basically installed his own family members throughout government. He treated the Tamil population as if they were a conquered people rather than his own citizens, and he failed to bring the kind of economic revival that even the Sinhalese majority wanted. So he was unexpectedly voted out of office a few weeks ago, and the new president is a a politician named uh, Maitripala Sirisena. And so Sirisena has recently announced that he is going to free some of the Tamil Tigers, uh, give them back some of their land. Was there a softening of feeling among the electorate? Because, you know, 85% of the voters in Sri Lanka are not, are Sinhalese. They're not members of the uh, Tamil minority. Uh, Most of the voters are Buddhist. The Tamil Tigers are Hindu. So why wouldn't most people want to punish the Tigers further? Well, the people who are imprisoned, the people who are alive, are really not uh, the are not Tamil Tiger leaders. Almost the entire leadership of the Tamil Tigers were wiped out. So anybody who is still living is a foot soldier, basically, or even just a uh, an innocent bystander. But I also, I mean, when we look at elections, those are the things that pop out at us because they're unique to Sri Lanka. I would also guess that being a steward of the economy and this backlash against corruption played a big role in the election. That's correct. If, uh, if Rajapaksa had actually delivered the goods in terms of the economy and good governance, all the things that people in almost every country go out and vote for, then he probably would have won the election. But he, he lost due to the, the unified vote of the Tamil population, the Muslim population, the Christian population. These minorities overlap, but they also comprise a pretty significant chunk. And at least enough of the Sinhalese population that was uh, disappointed and disaffected to come up with a majority that put him out of business. You know, I find it kind of surprising that there was a legitimate enough election because usually in situations like these, when there's a military strongman and one who has military success, he consolidates power and at least uh, disputes the results of an election that tosses him out of power. And we see this and we've talked about this time and time again, but uh, not in Sri Lanka for some reason. 
Well, the, uh, the reason appears to be that the military refused to, to play along with it. There have been reports that I at least find credible that Rajapaksa actually tried to get the, the uh, Sri Lankan military to stage an effective coup d'etat, and that the top leadership of the military refused to do so. Uh, these are unconfirmed reports, but the Sri Lankan military leadership, when asked about it by reporters from India and other countries, very pointedly did not deny it. And so I like knowledge for knowledge's sake, and I'm interested in the world, but I think that it is a practical question, a fair question as an American to ask, you know, how many ripples away is any of this to America? Well, this is pretty close to American security interests because the whole geopolitical picture, China in Asia, China outside of Asia, this um, this is a big question for American planners. We're very concerned in U.S. planning circles about the South China Sea and about China's perceived aggressiveness in expanding beyond uh, its traditional boundaries. Sri Lanka is quite beyond China's traditional boundaries, and so are these other string of pearls. So if one of these pearls might uh, be coming loose from the necklace, well, that's actually of interest to U.S. planners. Well, thank you for the string of pearls of wisdom. Jonah Blank, senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation. He was policy director for South and Southeast Asia on the staff of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's been to Sri Lanka many times. Thank you, Jonah. Thanks, Mike. It's terrible weather. It's snow. It's slush. It's a wintry mix. It sounds so much better than it is. And you're not going to be going places well, at best, you'll be traipsing, right? So you've got to traipse here and traipse there and traipse to the post office. And do you, do you really want to go to the post office and traipse there? Here's one place you don't have to traipse, to your own computer and your own printer. And there, you could print out first class, priority mail, express mail, international mail through stamps.com. No traipsing as you print at your own computer and then you hand the mail to the mailman. And if that guy's got a traipse, he signed up for the traipse. God love them, I say. But what I'm saying is that half a million businesses are already using Stamps.com. We have a promo code. If you go to Stamps.com and use the promo code the Gist, you get a no-risk trial and you get a $110 bonus offer with a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So go to Stamps.com today. Wait a minute. Trapes to Stamps.com? No, a little jaunty ride with your fingers to your keyboard. Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the Gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. Claims, counterclaims, the world is full of them. Also lies, innuendo, strong implications, carefully worded statements. We've seen our share of those too. And don't get me started on supposition, inference, and limited time offers. To counterbalance all of these, we have one sword, one sweeping sword of justice. And that sword is wielded by Maria Konnikova, and its name is... Is that bullshit? Hello, Maria. Hey, Mike. So Maria comes on to look at a claim or an innuendo or something related to science or scienciness or the body. The body gets big ones. And then uh, she actually looks at the science, the actual science, like studies, double-blind studies, and provable studies beyond just what one guy figured out one day. And then she renders a verdict. Is that bullshit? So today, let's cleanse, shall we? 
We shall. Have you ever gone in for a cleanse? Yes, I go for a cleanse. Actually, it happens every day. Between the hours of 8 a.m. and between 11.30 and noon, I don't eat much. Really? Mm. I I only drink water. It's my water cleanse. And then at 11.30, I have lunch and my cleanse is over. Oh, okay. So you hydrate. It's good that you hydrate. So what kind of cleanses? I mean, I see so many claims of these, sometimes related to a specific organ, sometimes related to the process. What What are the more common types of cleanses? I think if we look at them, we can break them down into two categories. One is food cleanses. So they'll have you either eat or not eat certain things. Mm -hmm. You have these pre-made juices that you drink, and that's one cleanse. Then they have ones that just restrict what you eat. Like, for instance, there's a cleanse that says you can't eat any acid-producing vegetables or fruits. So you can't eat things like tomatoes, for instance. Uh-huh. You can't eat grapefruits. And other cleanses, ironically enough, you can only eat citrus fruit. So different ones, depending on which part of the body they're trying to target or which part of you they're trying to detoxify, they'll either make you eat something okay. or make you keep from eating something. Yeah. So when they say detoxify, do they even spell out which toxins no. we're talking so about? So that's the thing. There's actually no consensus on what toxin means. Yeah. Originally in the medical literature, toxin means alcohol and nicotine. Those are things that are toxic to your body. And it's really, really hard to argue with that logic. If you stop smoking, you're going to be healthier. If you drink less, you're going to be healthier. If you eat less fast food, you're going to be healthier. If you eliminate processed foods from your diet, you're probably going to be healthier. Almost everything that makes you think about what you're intaking will make you a healthier person. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I mean, it's common sense that detox works because it's better not to be an alcoholic than it is to be an alcoholic and better not to be addicted to cigarettes than it is to be addicted to cigarettes. Almost nobody will tell you these are the toxins I mean. Well, are there actual toxins in the body besides, you know, alcohol or the things that the liver filters out? Sure. The body is exposed to toxins all the time, but we have a really, really good system that's been in place for hundreds of thousands of years. It's called the liver. It's called the kidneys. It's called our lungs, Mm -hmm. which detoxify air as they come in. It's called our skin, which is one of the first barriers of defense. It's called the mucus that's in all of in our nose and in our mouth and in our eyes. Um, that's our detox system. Um, that's what it does. It's yeah. it's there to get rid of everything that's bad in the environment. So our liver, for instance, can can do something like break down arsenic. That's why we can actually have trace amounts of arsenic in large amounts. It's a poison and you die. But in small amounts, you survive because the liver actually puts it into a form right away that is no longer dangerous to your body. You're ingesting a poison, but it's not poisonous to your body. And from what I understand, it smells like bitter almonds. I know Mm -hmm. that from reading crime fiction. Oh, bitter almonds. Like, what do bitter almonds smell like? No (laughs) idea. So So, you have before you a pretty, it seems a pretty thorough rundown of a whole bunch of different diets. And they actually test these diets? No. So, <laughs> so that's the thing. There's actually zero. As of 2014, there are no controlled, randomized trials of any detox diet that's commercially available. Is the reason that they're not tested because it's not as if anyone really thinks they're going to stand up to scrutiny? Or is it more because, look, I'm not trying to get the scientific community behind me. I'm just trying to get some people to buy my uh, juice cleanse. Well, I think it's because... 
one, they will not stand up to scrutiny. And the people who run these companies are really savvy business people, and they know this. Where we see the testing, that's why I mentioned earlier broccoli and cancer, we do see scientists testing certain foods, but these are in diseases, not in healthy people, because then it matters. So all these, you know, juice cleanses, like a lot of them, a lot of cleanses are based on liquids. Is there anything to liquids being healthier than things that you chew, than the mastication involved, or is it calories as calories? No, and... What we actually know um, is quite the opposite, that chewing helps, that when you chew food, you already start the process of releasing the digestive enzymes. And that's why you get that advice, you know, how many times you're supposed to chew your food. Um, I actually, I, I don't remember. 22, uh, 20... I was told. 22 <laughs> chews. So so that, obviously, that advice, that, that concrete number has no scientific backing. Mm-hmm. But we think that, you know, when you blend all these things together, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like taking a supplement. I think it's easier to to regulate and to kind of say this is cleansing because it flows through you. I think that's the intuitive logic there, that it's not getting stuck. It's it's a liquid like water. It comes in and out. And so I think that that's why people are drawn to the juice cleanses. I think that cleanses are all tied up this, with the following sorts of things. Heat, white robes. And being able to say, like, if no one could say, I'm on a cleanse, no one would go on a cleanse. Like, a few people would go on a cleanse. But, like, if you could live like Gandhi and maybe wear a diaper, people think that you would be a healthier person. And I don't think it's true. The other thing that we didn't talk about that I wanted to mention is that all of these cleanses, for the most part, are really, really stressful. Mm. And stress releases cortisol. And cortisol is... It's a toxin. Cortisol is really, really bad for you. It's a toxin. Oh, my <laughs> Cortisol God. Cortisol is about as good of a toxin as you can get. It actually makes us more prone to overeat and to binge eat. It makes us less able to digest our food. So stress eating, we often tend to gain weight when we're really stressed. And it's really bad for our bodies. This cortisol response, if you have that chronic stress, it has all sorts of adverse effects on your health, um, on your immune system, on your memory, on how clearly you're thinking. And it's... Oh, maybe that's why people like cleanses. They're not thinking clearly. Oh, exactly. So if you think about it, um, going on a cleanse for seven days, you you meet a lot of people who become really irritable and really bitchy (laughs) um, and really kind of nasty. Yeah. Um, And by bitchy, by the way, I mean men and women. They start... It is true. The cleanse crowd, you just can't talk to them. And... Like, if you present your evidence to them, they're like, oh, never thought of that. Great point. Thanks for helping me, Mike. No. There have been people who die on cleanses because some of these are really not scientifically sound, and you don't get enough sodium, for instance. Um, You don't get other nutrients, and sometimes you have an underlying health condition that you didn't know about because you were eating normally. Um, And so there have been numerous documented cases of people dying and the heat cleanses. I mean, I don't, we don't even have to go into the people who yeah. die in those sauna retreats where you, where you go. That's a cleanse, too. All right. Cleanses. Are they bullshit? In the sense of the, uh, of, in the sense of the available cleanses like the juice cleanses and all those diets, yes, absolutely, they're bullshit. Right. In the sense of should you drink less and maybe smoke one fewer cigarettes? No, that's not bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, but we all knew that. No one's marketing that. Here's my cleanse. Stop smoking. Give me a dollar. All right, Maria. Congratulations, you're healthier. Thank you. Maria Konnikova comes by every so often, really quite frequently, and uh, she plays Is That Bullshit? Sometimes we kind of know what the answer is, but it's the journey that's so much fun. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. 
This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, who bought a Super Bowl ad. Not just a Super Bowl ad, and here's the bigger deal for me. Jeff Bridges was in an ad on the back of a taxi. So that's when it started feeling real. And even though Jeff Bridges was only talking about, you know, humming and sounds of nature and drinking water, he was sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace was behind him. And it just shows that Squarespace, for all they do, is very forward thinking. Squarespace 7, so forward, it includes integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, new templates, and cover pages. It has 24-7 live support, by chat or email for $8 a month. You get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. So start a trial with no credit card and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. And that will show support for the GIST. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. And now the spiel, beast mode. Yeah. If you have the beast mode, I mean, I say you got to use the beast mode. Lots of times in life you're walking around, you got no beast mode. But if you have the beast mode and you don't use the beast mode, it's like not having beast mode. All right, let me explain. All right, there's this football game called the Super Bowl. All right, not that much of a wide-angle lens. So last night in the Super Bowl, Seattle was at the one-yard line, and they have this great running back, Marshawn Lynch. And Marshawn Lynch isn't just good. He has this, let's say, this gear, this setting, this mode, the mode of the beast. In Italian, it's modalita biste. In Indonesia, it's modis binatang. In Bulgarian, it's rezim zivar. But in Seattle, it's beast mode. But it was not beast mode in Glendale, Arizona. See, beast mode is when Marshawn Lynch gets really, really hard to stop. Like, really hard. Like, you're not going to stop Marshawn Lynch when he's in beast mode. Like, you're probably going to win the Super Bowl if you let Marshawn Lynch go into beast mode. But they threw a pass, it got intercepted, they lost. No beast mode. There's so many times when you don't have beast mode available to you online at the supermarket while flying coach, listening to a PowerPoint presentation. There is no beast mode. You can't go into beast mode. If you're not understanding, let me make some analogies here. Let's say you're going uptown on the four train. Do you take the local? Do you take 15 extra stops? No, you take the express because the express train is the beast mode of public transport. Let's say you're playing Pac-Man and you got one dot left to chew, but also one power pellet. First you eat the power pellet and then you'll almost definitely eat the dot. Power pellets are the beast mode of 1980s video games. Let's say you're Obama and some guy claps because you say you won't be running again during your speech and you zing them with, I know because I won both of them. Slick POTUS burns are the beast mode of State of the Union rhetoric. So if you got the beast mode, here's what I'm saying. It might be lost in nuance. If you got the beast mode, use the beast mode. Lots of snow on the ground now. Now, what I could do is I could take my snowblower, my really heavy, powerful snowblower, and I could just kind of run it up and down and dig a little rut. And in that rut, I could walk. Or I could turn it on and blow the snow. That's sort of like beast mode. Anyway, I think... You might not be understanding what I'm saying. Sometimes you get lost in my nuance. Sometimes you get lost in all the shadings of my point. I say you go into beast mode. That's my point, right? If you want to hear some more of the intelligent take on this, I have a podcast called Hang Up and Listen. We debate whether you go into beast mode. For that, the sports audience, I, I do pros and cons. For you guys, the general gist audience, I'll just say this. Beast mode, that's the right mode for you. That's the mode that fits the situation of wanting to win the Super Bowl. 
All right. Let's see how else I did. Andrea, let's play some tape of my appearance on MSNBC Super Bowl Sunday, talking to Steve Kornacki, offering my guide to some of the more unusual wagers. This is something you can bet on, actually. How many times will the word deflated balls be said during the game tonight? So you're watching the broadcast. How many times will that be said? And they have set the over-under at three. So, Mike, what's a good bet here, over or under? So I took the over. Andrea, what was the result? According to the transcripts, Mike, they only said it twice. The under paid out. All right, got that one wrong. Then it was asked, will Bill Belichick smile? Now, I wish the word smile were in quotes, because I could see him grimacing. I could see him giving a clenched teeth upturn of yeah, the How lips. do you define a smile? It's, it's a with very... the eyes. That's a real smile, but rarely do we see Belichick smile. I it's mean, hard with all the, you know, dark side of the force working within him. I said no, Andrea. No smile, Mike. Excellent. We're one and one here. All right. Uh, Bill Belichick, hoodie type. He's been known to cut them off. I say he's going to cut them off, right? Yeah, Glendale, Arizona. I hear they want to keep the roof open. That's usually a good predictor for half sleeve. Actually, Mike, it was full sleeve. So now you're one right, two wrong, but you did get the next one. The announcer said that the coach of the Seahawks used to coach the Patriots. All right, two for two. We're cooking. Here we go. Which song will Katy Perry perform first at halftime? What do you, you look at this list. Mm-hmm. What do you say? All right, so let me lay it out for you before I even say what Katy Perry's going to sing yesterday. Here's what I did. I looked at the four last halftime songs, the songs that led off the halftime shows. Vogue, Madonna, Gonna Rule the World, Girls, Beyonce, Locked Out of Heaven, Bruno Mars, I Got a Feeling. They were all in major key tonality. They all started with a little vamp and a little synth, and I compared that to Firework. They were a lot like Firework. Also, I programmed Pandora, and I put those specific songs in there because you could program Pandora with songs and with artists. So I did Vogue, Rule the World, Locked Out of Heaven, I Got a Feeling, and for artists, I did Katy Perry. I waited to see what Katy Perry song came up that was most like Vogue and Rule the World, and It was Firework, so that's why I said that Katy Perry was going to sing Firework first at halftime. Andrea, can we hear Katy Perry's first song? It's Roar, Mike. Yeah, I saw her riding a giant tiger, and I said, unless that tiger has some fireworks up its tuchus, I am going two for three in predictions. Oh, well, my problem. I got into a little bit of a zone, but I could have and yet chose not to go into prognostatory beast mode. I never went into beast mode. In, in retrospect, I should have gone into beast mode. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is a 19-line poetic form. Just intern Claire Tennisgetter has five tercets. Joel Meyer is the sort of managing producer of Slate Podcasts who precedes a quatrain by urinating, defecating, and scratching, rubbing, and biting trees. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, is known for two refrains and two repeating rhymes where the first and third line alternate. Hey, go to iTunes. There you will find the music of They Might Be Giants, but also us, and you can subscribe to us and give us a review. And just because I lie about poetic forms, don't hate me, don't hate the player, don't hate the villain, don't hate They Might Be Giants, who every Monday debut a song here on The Gist, don't charge them with villainry, even if they don't charge you when you call 844-386-6962 to hear their dial-a-song selection. You can start dialing that number tomorrow, but today... Right here, right now, is the only place to hear the latest They Might Be Giants song, Hate the Villanelle. Don't hate the villain, hate the villanelle with these picky rules and odd jigsaw rhymes. Curses, these verses are my prison cell. 
Cell. 